I feel like I'm really loud. Good morning. Good morning, church. Uh, it is good to be back with you once again. I uh, actually missed seeing you last couple of weeks. We had a very restful time on vacation. Uh, but of course, we got the news that first week about Jacob. And But it was really good for us to be together as a family as we face that loss together, to have that time together, especially with my kids. And I just wanted to say, just personally, just a quick thank you. If you're one of those people who sort of reached out and supported Alex and the family during this time, just thank you again. Uh, it's been hard. It's going to be a long journey, but your words of encouragement and especially your prayers, uh, they matter. And we just, we hold on to that truth that God will be faithful, uh, even in difficult times. Uh, and if you want to open your Bibles with me this morning to Acts chapter 14, uh, we come to a passage in the book of Acts that actually is one of those difficult times, uh, especially for Paul. In fact, uh, the events of this passage uh, actually sort of make what I would call Paul's hall of fame when it comes to suffering. Uh, Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about all the things he's had to endure. And some of those is, he says in verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and day I was adrift in the sea. And he goes on like that. But as the kids would say, spoiler alert, uh, our passage this morning is the, the moment when Paul was stoned uh, by the people who were opposing him preaching the gospel. And if you'd like to follow along with me, uh, let's read our passage. Uh, we're going to be, again, Acts chapter 14. We're backing up a little bit to verse 5. Just to give us some context, we'll go all the way to verse 20. So Acts 14, verses 5 to verse 20. Where it says, When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derby, cities in Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, they brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostle Barnabas, apostles Barnabas and Paul, they heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own way, yet he did not leave himself without witnesses. 
For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they were scarcely restrained. They, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. And they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Let's pray. Lord God, again, um, we are opening your word this morning. And Lord, to truly do that, we need your Holy Spirit um, to be our guide, to be our teacher uh, to shine the light on the places where, Lord, you would just really have this truth impact our lives the most. I pray that, Lord, you would speak in some way to every heart that is gathered here, every ear that is listening. Uh, Lord, pray that you would be high and lifted up and exalted in all that is done. Be with me that, Lord, you would give me just the strength and, and Lord, uh, yeah, the, the unction of the Holy Spirit to, to proclaim this word. Uh, in a way that touches lives. So, Lord, we ask that, Lord, you would come, you would be our guest, you would, you would be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to this passage, as you heard, Acts 14. And as I sort of opened it up this week, I actually admit I really struggled with this passage. And it's not because it was overly complicated. It kind of is exactly what it says it is. But... I struggled with it because it was so busy. There's just so much going on uh, here. Uh, you know, Paul, he flees one city, ends up in another, and then he preaches the gospel all over again. There's a miraculous healing, and then people try to sacrifice these, you know, and worship Paul and Barnabas as gods, but they talk him out of it, and then, you know, only to end up with his enemies show up later and convince the people, and they stone Paul, and they leave him for dead, and then drag him out of town, but then the church gathers around him, and he gets up, and he goes back home, and he keeps preaching, and like any one of those things probably could be a sermon in and of itself. And yet we get all of those happening uh, here at once in this one place. And it's actually, it's a little overwhelming. But, and I struggle with, how do I preach this in, in a way that sort of makes sense? That's just not a bunch of do this, do this. Like, and it occurred to me, I guess, sort of as I was thinking about this passage, that this account of Paul's sort of missionary journey in Lystra I think we begin to see in the events that happen here things that are actually a reflection of our own journey of faith. And that's kind of going to be our guide this morning as we look to apply this truth to our lives this morning. We're going to be looking at how the events of Paul's life in Lystra are also just a reflection of our own walk of faith. And that begins as even as we begin in verse 5. Uh, where it says, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. And I'm always struck again by Paul's commitment to preach the gospel. Uh, even when he's sort of thrown out of one town for proclaiming the good news, he, he doesn't hide, he doesn't pout, he doesn't just go back home. He just goes to the next town and starts preaching Christ all over again. Because preaching the gospel is what Paul did. It was his calling. 
And you know, since Lystra probably didn't have a synagogue, there probably weren't enough Jews there, it seems Paul actually takes the message to the streets, probably the marketplace in this town, where he once again just starts proclaiming to people there the good news about Jesus. And as a reflection sort of of our own journey of faith, I think this is a good reminder to us that faith begins with hearing the gospel. You know, even as Paul writes a little bit later in his life in Romans 10, he says, uh, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. But then he asks the question, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And I think that means there's two applications for us here as Christians that I would want to give you here. First, and once again, is the importance of sharing the good news with the people all around us. Because you know what? We are now the ones who are sent. We are the ones who Jesus calls to be witnesses. We're the ones who Jesus gave that great commission to, that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. And we should be constantly looking for those opportunities in our lives to be doing that with the people around us. That's the first real sort of solid application. But the second thing that kind of occurred to me as I read those words is just I think it's important for us as believers sometimes just to stop and pause and reflect on our own salvation. You know, even now, let's just take a moment to think back to that moment in your life when you heard the gospel and you heard those words of life and you made them your own. Think about that moment in your life when the truth of Jesus just, it became real. When that moment when the grace of God became more than just sort of an abstract idea but became real and you took hold of it. And you knew God was doing a work in your, in your heart. Do you have that moment in mind? I know for me it was at summer camp. It was probably grade eight. And just the words of the speaker at that campfire that night, it just hit me in a way that it never did before. And you know, I grew up in church. I, I'd heard the gospel preached a hundred times. I knew about Christmas and Easter. And, but that moment, that night, those words, God just got a hold of my heart in a special way. What was your moment? Celebrate that. Hold on to that moment and just keep it as something precious, that moment you heard and first believed. Because we actually see a moment just like that happening in the life of the person that we meet next. As our passage continues in verse 8, it says, Now in Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet, he was crippled from birth and he had never walked. And he listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet and he sprang up and he began walking. Now consider this man that we hear about, this man's life and the state that it was in. It's interesting, the, pas the passage actually goes out of the way to let us know that he was born crippled. It doesn't just say he's crippled. It said he was crippled from birth. 
This is not a man who once walked and then something happened. And No, he'd been crippled his whole life. You know, as a child, he never rose up and toddled to his parents. As a boy, he never ran or played. As a man, he could never travel or work or marry. And all he had to do was look down at his legs for the reason why with those shriveled feet twisted before him. And I guess what struck me about this is this man's greatest desire was to do something that most of us just take for granted every day. He, he wanted to walk. And how broken he must have feel, felt not being able to do that. How useless he must have felt, you know, having to depend on others, just feeling like a burden. That can break a person. And it probably did. That is until Paul shows up in this town. And Paul brings a message that this man never expected to hear. Because it wasn't just a message to the able-bodied people who could walk, who had all the benefits in his mind. It was a message for him. And that message was God loved him. And that God valued him just the way that he was. And that even though his feet didn't work, he was precious in God's sight. And that God sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die on the cross for him and for his, sin, his sins. And he knew when he heard that, that those words for, were for him. And I think that even before God unleashed sort of, you know, his power in healing this man's body, God has already transformed this man's heart. And I actually like what this passage says, that Paul sees that faith in this man, that somehow, some way it was written on his face or something, but Paul, you know, sometimes as a pastor, you, you see people, they get it. There's these moments when you look at someone and you realize God has got a hold of that person. That's what Paul sees when he looks at this man. And when he sees that, he lets God finish the work that he's already begun and the power of God makes this man whole. And we're told that he stands and that he leaps to his feet and he walks and his life is never the same again. His life is changed forever. Because of Jesus. And that leads us to our second reflection on faith in our own lives. And that is that once we hear and believe, our faith in Christ begins transforming us. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it holds that promise, you know, that I hold so dear. It says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. And you know, I, don't, I know we don't see many physical healings happening anymore, but I can assure you that the power of God is still on display in the lives of his people. And never underestimate the miracle of a changed life. You know, a few years ago, back at one of my previous churches, we had, well, we had a family visit us one Sunday. You know, it happens, new people come. In fact, this was a, Several generations of a family because the grandparents uh, were in town and they were visiting his, their grandson and his live-in girlfriend who, you know, who were living together. And on Sunday morning, grandma and grandpa simply said, we're going to church. 
Could you give us a ride? So they drove grandma and grandpa to church and the girlfriend thought that they were just going to drop them off and, you know, head off to have brunch or breakfast and something and come back and pick it up. But that's when the grandson stopped and said, you know what, I'm going to go in too. And the girlfriend refused. Uh, she had no interest in church. She was like one of those, I will not darken the door of that kind of place. So she said to her boyfriend, oh, they're fine, I'll stay in the car. And the grandson said, fine, but I'm taking the keys. <laughs> and this was in the middle of one of our very charitable, you know, Alberta winters. Uh, it was probably minus 30 at that day. So the girlfriend shivered in that car for 20 minutes before finding the resolve to finally walk into the church. And when she came in, she heard the word of God. And she came back the next week, and the next week, and the next week, and her faith came alive. And today that woman is leading Bible studies. She's leading women's groups. She, is, she serves as faithfully in the church as anyone, anyone I've ever known. Because her life was transformed. And when I look at her, I realize that is no less a miracle, no less of a healing. It's no less of a transformation and a work of God than we see in that man who is standing before Paul. Because God is at work in, in each of our lives, bringing change and bringing transformation. Of course, that doesn't mean that, you know, a life of faith is without challenges. And, you know, challenges, they, they kind of had their way of finding Paul. Uh, and we read about some of those challenges starting in verse 11, where it says, And when the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconium, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, he brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. And I think about how confusing a time this must have been for Paul and Barnabas. You know, that one minute Paul is preaching and then God performs this miracle in this life and heals this guy. And then just imagine chaos breaking loose. Out of nowhere and everywhere all at once, they're swarmed and surrounded by a tidal wave of people. And the people are talking and they're yelling and they're shouting. And keep in mind, we're told they were doing it in Lyconium, which is a language that Paul and Barnabas couldn't understand. So it's just chaos. And they would have sort of been befuddled about what was happening all around them. And it may have helped if they knew a, a sort of a local legend because uh, there was a legend in that town uh, of Lystra that it was said in the past the gods had come down to Lystra, but no one recognized them. And they went door to door knocking on people's doors and one by one people rejected them and turned them away. Except for one couple who the gods then welcomed and granted riches to. And I think they may have turned them into trees or something. Very strange, but the people were very excited about that. And so when some people in that town uh, saw that healing, they must have thought to themselves, it's happening again. The gods are again among us and we need to bring a sacrifice. We need to welcome them. We need to honor these guests properly. We should worship these gods in human form. And just pausing there for a second, I want you to think about how tempting 
Just a moment this must have been for Paul and Barnabas. Think about what these people were offering to them. Think about the devotion that they could have inspired. Think about the riches and the pleasures that were really theirs for the taking. The power that they could have had when people were convinced that they were literally gods. Of course, the only problem with that was simply that Paul and Barnabas knew the truth. And they knew that God and God alone was God. That God alone was worthy of praise. That God alone is to be worshipped. So they take immediate action. Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And yet even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. And, you know, looking at this part of the passage, um, I, think, I think we see that in all that Paul was dealing with here in these challenges that met him in Lystra, um, I see another reflection about many of the challenges I think that we too face as we go through the Christian life. Because you know what? Even after we come to salvation, even after God begins transforming our hearts, there are still things still dangers, still temptations that can sneak into our lives and trip up our faith if we're not careful. And I find four of them in this passage. The first challenge I think we face as Christians is what I would call deification. And just as these people wanted to think of Paul and Barnabas as gods, I think so often there's a temptation in our own lives to simply Sometimes we're guilty of trying to play God. We want to be in charge. We want to make the decisions. We want our will to be the will that is done. And we get to this place where we find our hearts are not surrendered to God. Because we realize we're really just trusting in ourselves. And sometimes we're giving lip service to God the reality is that when we really look at our lives, we realize we're pretty much just doing our own thing. It's this challenge to let God truly be the Lord of our lives as we take a back seat. And that's tough. And then the second challenge I think I find in this, this passage is, I would call it the challenge of distraction. Uh, I might have called it idolatry, but I want all my points to start with a D. So distraction. Because you know what, we don't, just because we don't bow down to idols made of wood and stone anymore, it doesn't mean that we are immune in our lives to putting other things before God in our lives. Because you don't need to look very far to see that people are running after all kinds of things. Whether that be pleasure or power or their careers or fame or money or success. And in our world, those, really thing, those things really are our new idols. And many times we run after those things at the expense of our faith. 
Which leads us to the third challenge I think we face. I would call this distortion. And that's where we as Christians, we begin to change our values and even sometimes our truth just to better fit in with the world around us. Where we let sort of the world begin to shape our beliefs instead of the word of God. And I say that because that temptation that Paul and Barnabas, you know, face in this passage is one that the church faces every day. The, the temptation to be popular. You know, the temptation to have people like us. That temptation, you know, not to offend others who think differently than us and not to correct people, you know, who, who, who the word of God says is wrong. So we all face this moment when we have to decide if we're going to take a stand for the truth or just let things slide into compromise. And there are churches that I know have let things slide. You know, churches, some churches have gotten rid of ideas like hell or judgment or wrath of God because they're just too offensive. The people don't like those. There are churches that, you know, fully support homosexual marriage and relationships. There are churches that are driven more by politics and what politicians say than, than they are by the Bible. There are churches that now are rejecting the authority of the scriptures that the churches are founded on because they just don't line up with popular opinion. That's the challenge of distorting our faith to fit with the crowds. Which leads to the last challenge that we sometimes have to face, and that's actual danger. Because when we take a stand for our faith, people can turn on us. And it's, I find it amazing how fast these crowds turn on Paul. Look at our passage again, verse 19. It says, but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. And you know, in our world today, I don't think here in Canada we're in danger of being dragged through the streets for our faith. But, you know, I know people who've lost jobs. People who have lost friends and friendships. People who've lost opportunities in their life, have doors closed in their faith because they've not, they've refused to compromise their faith. And I can also tell you that the world around us is becoming more and more hostile to Christianity. You know, there's many people in important, powerful places that are now considering sort of Christianity to be a threat to democracy. You know, the people who see believers as a danger to society, who see people of faith as being militants and extremists and even sometimes we're called terrorists. So how do we as Christians then face these challenges? Well, I think Paul also gives us some guidance here as well. Um, Even as he speaks to this crowd and the words, his words let us know that as believers, I think there's four things he tells us that we need to hold on to in order to sort of not give in to these temptations and to stand in faith. And the first thing he tells us is we need to hold on to humility and repentance in our life. He says in verse 15, men, why are you doing things? We are also men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. And I think Paul's words there just really remind us that our job is not to seek glory for ourselves, but to seek glory for God and to live for him in all that we do. Our job is to put God first in all things. Our job is to just have a right understanding of our place 
in this world. And that means God is always first. And when we get that wrong, when we mess that up, when we do put ourselves first or we are running after things that we know we shouldn't be, then we repent. As Paul says, we turn from those vain things back to the living God. So we live in humility. We put God first, not ourselves. Second thing we do, second thing we need to hold on to is we need to hold on to the good news and the word of God. As Paul says again in verse 15, we bring you good news, that news about Jesus, and that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Because the truth of God and the truth about God matters. And that truth of God should be the foundation of our lives. In fact, uh, later in Paul's life, quite late in his life, uh, he would actually write a letter to a disciple of his named Timothy. And it's interesting enough, Lystra, where Paul is right now, Lystra was probably Timothy's hometown. He could have even been there when all of this was happening. He would have been a young boy at the time, but... But Paul would remember this moment in Lystra as he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 as he gives Timothy this advice. Saying in verse 10, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured yet from the Lord um, all, from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he says, will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And that is the importance of holding on to the word of God in challenging times. The word of God needs to be our foundation. Which brings us to the third thing. I think Paul tells us here that we need to hold on to, and that is grace and the goodness of God. He says in our passage, at the beginning of verse 16, in past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witnesses. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And it's interesting that Paul's words again in verse 17 they're interesting because contextually, Zeus was known as the god of, of sending rain. And Hermes was the god of financial gain and good things, the god of commerce. So really by mentioning sort of both of these things, Paul's saying to these men, you know, all of this good stuff in your life that you are attributing to false gods is actually the goodness of the one true God shown to you. That's God's grace offered to each and every one of you. And you need to see the grace of God in your life. 
That's why I think it's so important that we take time to see the goodness of God all around us. Not just at Thanksgiving time, but all the time. We should take time to pause and just be thankful for all that God has done. And most of all, especially as believers, we need to take time just to reflect on the sheer beauty and majesty of our salvation that is a gift of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And grace is important. Holding on to that grace because, you know, all throughout Paul's ministry, you know, there would be troublemakers, his opponents, his enemies, who would come and show up again and again. And they weren't just stoning him, but often they would just, they would try they would try to get people that Paul preached the gospel to, they would try to get them to think that they, there was something more that was needed for them to be saved by Jesus. So they tell them, yeah, you, you can believe in Jesus, but you also have to follow the law of Moses. Or you have to get circumcised. Or you have to, you know, you have to behave in a certain way. Or you have to do certain things. And only when you do those things will you truly be saved. But you know what? Freedom comes in knowing that Jesus alone is enough. That Jesus alone saves. That Jesus' grace is sufficient. And that's why we hold on to grace. Which leaves us only one more thing, I think, that we hold on to from this passage. And that's, I think we're told here, really, to hold on to each other. Let's look at verse 20. It says, But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what is happening in that verse because it's, it's so strange. Uh, some, people, some people claim that Paul was actually killed and they dragged him out of, uh, out of town and, and that a resurrection occurs here. Uh, some see this as a miraculous healing taking place where Paul, you know, he's been beaten to the point of death, left for dead, and, and, you know, the, somehow he gets up and he actually travels uh, this long distance the very next day. So it's miraculous. But others say, you know, perhaps Paul was just knocked out, you know, unconscious. People thought he was dead and they just, you know, he woke up later with a headache. I think it was probably the second one. Paul probably was miraculously healed. But one thing I do know is that we are told here that the church was there for him. And there's this beautiful picture in verse 20 of Paul when, when he's down. We're told he is then surrounded by the disciples. And that's the picture that, that, that it gives. It, they gathered around him and he is lifted up in the midst of them. Because that's why God gave us the, church, the gift of the church in the first place. So that we could have people when we're going through these hard times, people who will pray for us, people who will support us, people who will stand by our side in the hard times. That we are there for one another. And you know, the Bible, I think there's like 59 one another commandments that are given to the church. That we are to love one another, accept one another, greet one another, serve one another, bear with one another, live in harmony with one another, offer hospitality to one another, and encourage one another, and build each other up. We're there for each other. And that's why we hold on to the church. Because it's a source of strength and encouragement in this very difficult world sometimes. And then from there, Paul, as we're told, he goes to another town. He goes to Derby, 
And he does it all over again. And he continues just to live this life that God has called him to live, to do the things that God has called him to do. And that's basically what goes on in this passage. And again, it's a lot. But you know, as we continue to walk this life of faith that we're called to as believers, I hope that some of these lessons will be just valuable to us because, again, this is what life is all about. And if you're here this morning and you feel like, like that life is not yet yours, maybe you're here and you feel like you've just been in a spiritual rut for a long time and you're just, you're tired of it and you want change, you need to know it's not too late to make a change. And if you've never sort of before accepted God's gift of salvation, that is something that is available to you right now. That you would believe in Jesus, believe that he was the son of God, believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the grave on the third day. That's yours. Because that's the gospel that Paul preached and that's the door to salvation for each and every one of us. And if you want to make that decision today, I would encourage you to let people know so we can help you begin to take those first steps of faith. But for those of us who have done that and still feel like they're struggling here today, and I can tell you there's no better way to get back on track than just to get on your knees and ask God for forgiveness and repent and just return to God. And just break some of those bad habits that keep pulling you down and turn away from those things that are hindering your walk with God. Get rid of those idols and turn to the living God and get serious about pursuing a life of love for him. Because you know, God calls each and every one of us to a deeper relationship with him and it's ours to take hold of. I'm gonna close with just an old story about a man who just, he wanted revival to come to his church. So he asked the pastor, pastor, what can I do? And the pastor told him simply to draw a circle on the ground and kneel inside of it to pray. And then ask God to send revival on everything inside of that circle and stay there until he answers. Because you know what? Every revival begins with one person being faithful, one person serving God fully in their life, one person walking in the truth for others to see. Revival is one person dedicating themselves to a holy living and committing their life to God completely and then waiting just for that one spark of life to catch fire in the lives of others. And that life can be yours today, it can be mine today. That passion, that purpose, that calling is ours to live out in Jesus Christ as we take hold of the life of faith that is before us. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that, Lord, you would just, you would put that spark of life, that spark of revival uh, into our hearts today. And that, Lord, that spark would be contagious as it catches fire in the lives of others around us. I pray, Lord, that our walk of faith would be something that is contagious, that our lives would glorify you and accomplish your will here on earth. And Lord, we know that that is not always something that is without challenges. Even as Paul says, everyone who desires to live that kind of life is going to be persecuted.
And I mean, those are things, challenges, temptations, believers have had to face from the very beginning. Whether it's selfishness or idolatry or compromise or even danger and persecution or rejection from our fellow man, Lord, those things are real, but I pray that, Lord, you would give us the strength to endure. And that, Lord, we would hold on to you, we would hold on to your word, we would hold on to your grace, we would hold on even to the church as a source of encouragement, knowing that we can overcome, that you will give us the victory because, Lord, it doesn't matter in the end how hard we hold on to you because, Lord, you are the one who is holding on to us. And your grip of grace, it never fails. And that, Lord, you will give us victory. You will give us joy. You will give us hope. You will give to us life and life eternal in Christ Jesus. As you continue just to work in our lives to transform us. And I pray that, Lord, you would make each and every one of us new creations in Christ Jesus. And that our lives would now be a reflection of faith for the people all around us. And that, Lord, you would just bless us. Bless us with an awareness of our salvation. That we would celebrate it and just live it out each and every day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark. I'll ask us to rise up as we respond. And-